0: Let us read of the rich Gospel truth of justification that is ours by faith alone, together from Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated this morning. And as you're doing so, I would invite you to grab your Bibles, as it will be useful to have them open and in front of you as we study God's Word together and make your way toward the book of Acts. Chapter 4 is where we will be together this morning for those Of you that don't know me, my name is Jordan Stone. It's my privilege and delight to be a member here at Redeemer Church. I'm married to Emily. We have five little children. Hudson, Owen, Haddon, Knox, Sarah just turned one over the weekend. And Lord willing, our fifth son is due on New Year's Eve of this year. Boston Stone is soon on the way. Now kids, I would ask you a question. When you think of... October 31st, children, what jumps into your mind? Uh, Surely, if we're honest, for most of us, images of candy and costumes uh, jump into our minds. And my hope is by the end of this month, if you are with us these next few Sundays at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, that the image of a monk and his mallet will jump into your mind. It was on October 31st as many of you may know, 1517, that an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther took his hammer and nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg. And God used Luther's hammer work to ignite what we now call the Reformation. It, of course, was a period of time in which the Spirit was uniquely moving to cause the church to recover gospel truths that had long been lost in the church, And so what we, for a few weeks now, had been planning on doing after our study of 1 Peter concluded was use the five Sundays in the month of October to think of what is often referred to as the five solas of the Reformation, five simple truths that really represent the heartbeat of what the Reformation was all about. And so if you don't know what they are, you might think of them in just this simple sentence, because we believe that Scripture alone is our foundation. We proclaim that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And so it was originally planned that I would preach on Christ alone, October 22nd of this month. But due to the uniqueness of the day, we just rearranged the schedule a little bit, and so my sermon got moved up. So if you're familiar with the normal sequence of the five solas, our series is admittedly out of sequence for the next few weeks. But maybe it's even a simple encouragement to remind our own hearts that God's plan is so often out of sequence for us, and it is always so much better. So what we want to discover and uncover this morning together is the truth of solus Christus, Christ alone. It was the Reformers who said that Christ alone, not the sacramental system, is how any person is saved. It's Christ alone, not the Mass, that is our final and great substitution. It's Christ alone, not the papacy, not the Virgin Mary, not the mediation of the saints, that is our mediator between God and man. And I hope you came this morning, however, not seeking to find Or hear a theological, historical lecture on a rich truth. But I hope you came to hear of Christ from His Word. And so what we want to hear together this morning is Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. So let me read our text for us this morning. And then let me pray for our time and then we will study this wonderful truth together. Let's hear now as God speaks to us through His Word on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in jerusalem with annas the high priest and caiaphas and john and alexander and all who were of the high priestly family and when they had set them in their midst they inquired of peter and john by what power or by what name did you do this then peter This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what do we believe about God's word, Redeemer Church? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father, we come to your word this morning, asking and expecting it to do its work among us, to accomplish the purpose for which you send it. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word, that you would open our hearts that we might not only observe this truth, but keep it. Lord, I pray that you would set aside any desire of my heart to impress, but that Christ would speak to us. So help us to hear with faith, Lord, help us to hear with love and eagerness, and for me to preach as I ought boldly, clearly, as a dying man unto dying people. And Lord, we pray these things only for your glory and our good, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you, I wonder if you've heard of a Puritan named Samuel Rutherford. He is still somewhat well-known in Reformed and Presbyterian circles through the publication of his letters that have never gone out of print since the 17th century. And if you've ever read Rutherford's letters, you know that there's something unique about his counsel to fellow Christians and saints in those letters. There's this razor-sharp passion and focus with which he brings our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks about Christ with great majesty, centering, the mind on Christ's loveliness, beauty, and glory. And a few weeks ago, I was talking with Dr. Sinclair Ferguson about Samuel Rutherford, and he reminded me that if you read Rutherford's sermons, however, what you would come across is something like a shotgun of biblical truth as Rutherford just goes all over the place in his sermons. And so there's a somewhat famous story in Rutherford's studies. He's one day preaching to his congregation and with And he's meditating on the glory of Jesus Christ. But as he was prone to do, and I'm sure so many preachers are prone to do, he began to wander into other matters. Particularly in this sermon, it was a controversial topic of the day. But he eventually came back to Christ and Him crucified. And as he was declaring Christ, uh, an old ruling elder from the back pew shouted, Hold you right there, minister. You are all right there. And isn't it true that the Reformation in so many ways was a call to the church hold you right there. You are okay right there in preaching Christ and Him crucified. It was a call to return to biblical proclamations centered on Christ. And in so many ways, I think our text this morning represents one of the finest biblical miniatures of this truth and of this preaching that you will find in God's Word. So one commentator would say about our text in Acts chapter 4 that it represents something like a watershed in Luke's narrative. And if you traced out Peter's sermons in chapter 2, 3, and 4, I think you would find that to be true that we are indeed, as Luke's story of the early church, is developing something of a crescendo-like moment in our passage. And the main theme that we just want to examined together this morning is Christ alone can save four words children that are the most important you will ever hear four words students that you must remember will never be popular in the world four words as a church that must represent the sum and substance of any faithful church's message and ministry and life together Christ alone can save. And so as we want to fix our mind's attention and and heart's affection on Christ this morning from our passage, I want us to see a couple things that are true from this sermon of Peter about Christ's person and work. The first of which is Jesus is our restoration. Notice again what we're told in verse 5. Luke tells us, On the next day. So just pause right there. What we're going to look at is something like a crescendo to the previous day's events. So what happened yesterday in this story of Acts? If you just look back to chapter 3, begin to scan your eyes through Luke's account there, what you would find is that one afternoon, day before, Peter and John had come into the temple courts at the hour of prayer. That's roughly 3 p.m. Uh, They come to a gate called Beautiful. And as they walk by the gate, a crippled man... Asks for alms. So kids, this is asking for money. And, and Peter, you can just imagine if he had pockets, reaching into his pockets, saying, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And this man is immediately healed. And he begins, begins going through the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, and as you maybe can imagine, causing no small amount of disturbance in the process. So Peter, ever an eager gospel preacher, seizes on the attention of the temple courtyard to preach a sermon, and Peter gives this eloquent, this bold sermon about a crucified and risen Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And what we find out later on in Luke's account is that a certain group of men named the Sadducees This elite religious group in Jerusalem, they are listening to Peter's sermon. You may recall that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And here is Peter pronouncing and announcing a risen Savior. So by verse 2 of chapter 4, you'll notice that they are greatly annoyed. The Sadducees are greatly annoyed at Peter's sermon. Incidentally enough, sometimes that is a certain mark of gospel preaching Greatly annoying, self-righteous sinners such as ourselves. And so they throw John and Peter into prison, you'll notice in verse 3. But God used the sermon in a powerful way, didn't he? Notice what we're told in verse 4 of Acts chapter 4. 2,000 more people are added to the church as a result of Peter's sermon. So we pick up the story the next day after a miracle and after a revival All of Jerusalem must have been talking about it because all of the religious leaders in Jerusalem now gather the next day. Notice as verse 5 continues, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Then verse 6 tells us the whole high priestly family is there. Something like the executive council in Judaism at the moment. And so what we have before us is a group of 71 men in all likelihood known as the Sanhedrin ready to put Peter and John on trial. So if you've ever seen a movie or you've ever seen a TV show that centers on a courtroom drama, the the tension of a trial, I think you'll have an idea of the atmosphere of this moment in Acts chapter 4, because they are going to inquire of Peter and John something very specific. Notice again their question in verse 7. By what power or by what name did you do this, this miracle? we find out later on in the passage this healed man is standing in their midst, so he's present for all to see. How did you heal that man? But what you need to understand is it's not ultimately, as the passage continues, it's not ultimately a question of how this miracle happened. How did you do this act of kindness? It really is more about the claims of Christ, by what authority, did you do what you did yesterday? James Guthrie was an early Scottish covenanter who was said to be, to be a wee man who, who wouldn't stoop for anyone. So courageous was he for Christ. And so in 1661, Guthrie was put on trial for his Reformation faith. And somewhere in the course of the proceedings, someone that was sitting behind him reached over the bench and, and tapped him on the shoulder. And said, Mr. Guthrie, if you would but just stoop a little, your head won't have to hang in the noose. Guthrie looks back at this man with burning fire in his eyes, surely, and says, My friend, there is no ducking in the kingdom of Christ. And it was courage under spiritual fire that surely was an echo of what we find in the apostles here in Acts chapter 4, because notice what Peter says in verses 8 through 10. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So do you see what Peter has just done in that moment? Has he not just turned tables entirely in this trial? The accused is now the accuser. The Sanhedrin's judgment seat is now God's judgment seat. By Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucify, this man has been made well. There's something amazing about the boldness of Peter's proclamation in this moment when you understand that in Luke chapter 22, uh, we're told that this very group of religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, about two months before, what had they done? Condemned the Lord Jesus Christ to execution on a cross. And what was Peter doing? Cowering in the courtyard, denying his Savior three times. And here he is now boldly proclaiming the restoration that comes by the Lord Jesus Christ. I do hope you know that when you look at this crippled man in Acts 3 and 4, uh, that you know the Bible doesn't promise us the same physical healing that he experienced. Uh, The silver or gold of health may come to you in your life. It may not. But do you know that the Bible has promised a spiritual restoration that is vividly portrayed before us in the experience of this crippled man? He was unable, due to his disease, infirmity, whatever it was, to go into the inner courts of the temple. Therefore, he would have had no assurance of God's acceptance. And yet by faith in Jesus Christ, what is he found doing? walking and leaping and praising God in the inner courts of the temple. You and I, isn't it true according to Scripture, we're born into sin, by nature children of wrath, deserving God's punishment and completely unable to do anything in our own power and strength to receive God's forgiveness. But faith in Jesus Christ, the name of the Savior, what do we find? Assurance of His forgiveness. Promise of acceptance. Welcome into his fellowship and presence. It's the name of Jesus Christ who is our restoration. Jesus Christ, also, we find out in verse 11, is our foundation because Peter's sermon's not done yet. Notice what he says in verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You may have noticed if you paid attention in the bulletin earlier. This is a quote from Psalm 118 that even Jesus used in his ministry. And the word here of stone, it can refer to either a cornerstone or a capstone. It's saying that the religious leaders who thought they were the ones that were going to build God's people had in fact rejected the very one on whom God's people are built, namely Jesus Christ. So it could be a cornerstone or capstone. The image there for Christ is either he's the stone that... The foundation is laid on, set on, the building established, or the stone in which the whole structure holds together, and either one is simply telling us that Jesus Christ is the only foundation for God's people. Maybe you're in here this morning, and you're not a Christian. I'm thankful you're here. Can I ask you just a simple question that you might honestly examine your heart on this morning? On what foundation are you building your life? On what foundation do you hope to stand before God one day? And might we all, even as Christians, examine our own hearts. On what foundation are we living? For the devil tempts us, does he not, every single day to trust in, to cling to false foundations and substitute saviors when the Bible announces to us that there is only one foundation and his name is Jesus Christ. So in the age of the Reformation, this was a big point for the reformers. The Roman Catholic Church said the foundation of salvation came through works of righteousness, the meeting out of merit upon the saints by cooperation with infused grace. But the reformers come along and say, no, there is only one foundation, faith in Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen. He is our restoration. And praise God, he's also our foundation. I remember several years ago being in a road trip with one of my close friends, and somehow in the course of our conversation, he found out that I wasn't the biggest country music fan. And so he attempted to persuade me of the merits of country music by playing an entire album of the best-selling country music artist of the time. And so by the end of the album, I was still uh, unconvinced and thought I had come to the end of this experiment, but about five minutes after the last track ended, a little rhythm guitar came through the speakers once again, and it was this country singer's bonus track to the album. (laughs) And it was a little ditty that he called, One Chord Song. He crooned forth, there ain't too much that I can do with the melody." because I'm stuck within the confines of the single key of G. This is my one chord song. I can't go on too long. And gratefully, he didn't for me. <laughs> Do you know that when we come to Acts chapter 4, verse 12, what we come to is the Bible's one chord song? And isn't it amazing? This one chord song, so full of grandeur, And wonder that it will be the song of the saints throughout all eternity. For notice Peter's crescendo once again. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. So students, stare at verse 12 again. Do you wonder why... Peter is making such a big deal about the name of Jesus Christ. You might uh, find it a profitable exercise to go home later today and just read through Acts 3 and 4 and notice how much the account and the sermons of Peter emphasize the name of Jesus Christ. What's so amazing and significant about Christ's name? Well, there aren't there many things we could say to answer that question across... Genesis to Revelation but let me just fix your attention on a few even from this verse Uh, what we need to see first of all is the potency of Christ's name there is power in the name of Christ doesn't Romans chapter 10 verse 13 tell us all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved that's why even John Calvin said the very name of Jesus teaches us that he alone possesses salvation for what does Jesus's name mean Yahweh saves. See also the necessity of Jesus' name. Because notice what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved, by which we might be saved, by which we can be saved. What does he say? By which we must be saved. Salvation is in no one else, which points to another thing, doesn't it? The exclusivity Of Jesus' name, it's only in Christ that anyone is saved. Only in Christ that anyone is saved. Just as in Noah's day, the only refuge from God, God's floodwaters of wrath was Noah's Ark. So too, for us, the only stronghold into which sinners can run and receive rescue. From the punishment we deserve is the name of Jesus Christ. But don't miss the fourth thing true about His name. The inclusivity of it. Do you see what He says? There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Kids, this is a Savior for you. You don't have to grow older to trust in this King. No matter your past, Let us all remember, no matter our struggles, fears, doubts, worries, He is a Savior for you. Which is why the saints and angels sing in Revelation 5 that He has ransomed people from where? Every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. He is the only Savior for all mankind. Christ alone can save. 1520s, Martin Luther was beginning to bring the Reformation doctrine to a greater unity of expression so he spent much of his time writing about this truth of Christ alone but he also, if you ever read his sermons from that decade, he spends a lot of time in his preaching, exhorting Christians at his church to believe in Christ alone and in one sermon from the Gospel of John he says, there was a time at which Saint Anne was my idol And St. Thomas was my apostle. And he keeps talking. Eventually he comes back to his main point. And Luther says, what I'm trying to tell you is this. It is easier to believe in anything and everyone than Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So what I want you to be encouraged by, even as we begin to close our study together, is the most important and immediate call of this doctrine for our lives. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Therefore, we must believe in Christ alone for all we need. It's only in Christ, it's only in His blood that we find atonement for our sins. It is only in the grace of Christ that we find forgiveness and power to live lives of godliness. It is only in the obedience of Christ that we find ourselves clothed with righteousness. It is only in Christ that the weak are made strong, that the poor are made rich, that the foolish are made wise. Only Christ can set captives free. Only Christ can justify sinners. Only Christ can assure doubters. Only Christ can convince skeptics. Have you come to Him? I pray that if you haven't, today is the first time you will. But my Christian brother and sister, is it not true that each and every day that we rise to submit our life to the glory of God, the most immediate thing we must do every morning is renew our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Why don't you find your faith in this Savior refreshed this morning as you behold His power, His person and work, His restoration, Christ, the foundation, and salvation. But even Acts chapter 4 tells us there's another immediate implication of this truth, and it's boldness for Christ in the midst of opposition. Because notice verse 13, what happens after Peter's sermon is done. The religious leaders see the boldness of the apostles, and what happens? These religious leaders are astonished at the boldness of these uneducated men Preaching Jesus Christ. Uh, Don't you know that ever since our Lord ascended into heaven, the church grows, the church extends most when it is the bold preaching of Christ coming to God's people, to weary saints, to lost sinners in the midst of opposition, intimidation, and persecution? You need not need to be an expert in reading our culture to know opposition is increasing. Intimidation seems to come more and more by the month. And the call of this doctrine is boldness for Christ. And we might even ask, how might we live boldly in, declaration, in our declarations of Jesus Christ? Well, you may have noticed, our text tells us. Look back at verse 7. Before Peter opens his mouth, what happens to him? In verse 8, we're told he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Skip down to verse 13. The religious leaders are amazed at the boldness of the apostles and they see that these apostles had been with Jesus. And surely it's of no small amount of importance that by the end of the chapter, what you find the early church doing is praying. Praying together for more power of the Spirit so they might more boldly proclaim the name of Christ. Surely it is any church's finest hour when the only explanation For their belief in Christ and boldness for Christ is the Spirit's filling, being with Jesus, and devotion to prayer together. For as long as our Lord tarries, this is going to always be the central task of Christ's church. Believing in Him and boldly proclaiming His name. So then, just as as Moses Lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness so that all might look upon it and be saved. So too uh, must we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person and work so that all might look upon him and be saved because there is salvation in no one else. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word which is powerful and able to convince us that salvation is found in Christ alone. That is able to comfort us that salvation is found in Christ alone. Give us hearts that are flourishing in faith. Give us lives that are growing in courage. We do pray that you would comfort the weak this morning through this truth, that you would instruct us in the good news that Jesus Christ alone can save. And may it always be the central mission of Redeemer Presbyterian Church to believe in Him and be bold for Him. And we do pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.